The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome to a, another episode of Podcasters, your favorite D&D tabletop gaming podcast station for all things Dungeons and & Dragons and the like, because currently there is one campaign underway on our YouTube page and in the streams below. Uh, streams previously, wherever you're listening to this. Listen, guys, we currently have a campaign going. It's the Saturdays, Saturday sessions. It's fun. There's a lot of fun stuff coming ahead. Apart from that, Greg is in the works with a, uh, a new project. He's practicing, uh, not practicing, he's working on a new system that's going to be involved with more of Monster Base, which I'm very excited, but I don't want to drop anything more until he's ready to, so we're going to zip it at that. Uh, but welcome back for another episode, and you're probably wondering if you're watching going, all right, cool, we get it. It's not a campaign. What is it going to be? Uh, this is actually a new series that we're going to be doing. I don't know if it's going to be weekly, bi-weekly, or how frequent, but it's going to be me and a good friend, uh, Benjamin Nichols. We're going to be discussing and diving through the uh, plethora of pages of the monster manuals as it is, co- uh, it is a, as it is appropriately named the Monster Manual Monday, wherever I have it up on this overlay being said. Or if you're listening to it, it is Monday. So, hey, guess what? It's a new monster in the manual for you. And today, I'm going to let Ben kick it off because I was like, well, like, what should we go for if we're going to jump into the monster manual? And I didn't know if I was being cliche, but I mean, what do you think, Ben? Oh, uh, well, we uh, decided on Beholder to be the first one. And for me, it is probably the most iconic and definitive Dungeons and Dragons monster there is. If you watch, you know, film, TV, you delve into a lot of things, it really only exists within the monster manuals and mm-hmm. it was you know created by TSR. So that is kind of like their like one of their monsters. It's, it's one of the only few ones that they actually hold like creative comments, like or creative license saying like, this is theirs. I, I, I saw actually in, um, in some fun facts is, did you watch the movie, oh, man, what's it? Uh, Onward from Pixar's. I, I've not seen Onward yet. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Cause I don't want to spoil That's anything okay. else. Like, uh, but I, I apparently there's a beholder in it. I was, I didn't witness it, but there's more stuff I was going to say. I'm going to backtrack and not say anything else. Oh, cool. But, but I guess they did actually have a beholder in it. And they, uh, in their credits, they did do a thank you to uh, wizards of the coast of like, for being able to, for letting them use the actual like beholder, yeah. which is really cool, which I'm actually want to go back and watch over. If you guys haven't uh, seen it yet, check it out. It's on um, Disney plus. It's really fun. So, yeah, we're going into beholders. So, how many beholders have you tackled against in your, in your dungeon mastering playing of uh, this game? Hmm. Well, I have to say, I know I've used, like, the classic one in my very first campaign. Um, I've done some things with where I got, I had the opportunity to, to do some playtesting for Adventurers League 
and I got to run a Beholder Flamekin that was Ooh. in an hour in an arena <laughs> and yeah so as this gladiator fight is going on this beholder is protected by an armored tower but there's uh, like a vent where he could fire all of his eye rays out in different directions and there was fireball mm. and scorching rays and it had uh, its central eye was very different than the typical beholder in that it mm -hmm. made you vulnerable to fire attacks so if you were locked in its gaze, you took twice as much damage from everything it was shooting at you. Oh, was, no. Yeah, it was a, I mean, it was a uh, level 17, 18 adventure. So I, I'm not surprised that it was just made to be, we have to just up the ante as much as we possibly can to take on players of that level and those capabilities. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I think the only, the only one I have ran with was... Uh, the first, very, very uh, stereotypical, I guess, of me. of The first, um, one of the first sessions I tried to run as a dungeon master, I needed a big bad villain, so I threw a beholder in him at, in, at the parties. And I'll say, as a new DM, probably not one of the monsters you want to try and run with as, as the villain, or run as the big encounter, I feel. That's my opinion. Because it's so much to worry about, because you're, you're worrying about the eyes, all the eye stocks on the reaction turns. You're worried about the central eye, plus you're levitating. So you have to realize that you your move a bit your your movement isn't just a standard linear. Uh, I'm on the ground. It's now floating in multiple dimensions. You know, uh, let's get into this. So one of the first one of the first monsters that we're really big with with uh, Dungeons and Dragons. One of the most iconic, I would say, and. It was created by Terry. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but it's K-U-N-T-Z. It was one of actually Gary Gygax's friend's brothers, which is yes. cool from what I learned. Uh, was created for the Greyhawk Adventure, or he incorporated him into the Greyhawk module for mm -hmm. the first edition. And then it was published after. And on my phone, I actually found a cool uh, snippet out of a article from Dragon, Ma I think it's Dragon Magazine. Yes. From before. And it was uh, entitled The Ecology of the Beholder by Ed Greenwood and Roger Moore. And I figured before we get into this really good discussion, I just kind of want to read a little bit of this because it was really cool that uh, I can see where the purpose of Dragon Magazine really came from in a day where they don't have on access tool sets to how to run and manage and play these monsters. I guess maybe the dragon, like through this description, kind of gives the idea of how would the monster play as well as how would the players play against the monster. And uh, as a sage was talking and teaching to students or uh, teaching a class and speaking to a class, um, pulls up to a spot where it says, uh, where is he say? The beholder is shaped like a great sphere, almost the height of a man. The body is covered in a sphere or are covered by several hard plates of chitin, which overlap one another, slightly protected the internal, ma uh, internal organs, magical organ called the levator magnus, uh, located in the center of the body, surrounded by the creature's brain, produces an influences that causes the beholder to float in the air. Then it goes on to talk about how from atop the armored sphere project 10 eye stalks, each of which has a limited maneuverability and field of vision. These eyes, however, do more than just see. So 
I didn't think about how do you want to break this down? What do you think? Do you want to talk about the classic stereotypical beholder character sheet or not character sheet, the monster sheet and kind of do a little bit of the background of them? What do you think? Well, um, hmm. You want to yeah, tackle I see, this? I see just start with, we'll just start like looking at the numbers and work our way through it. Yeah. So and it's a good way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah, let's. I, I don't want to focus heavily reading through the actual monster sheet itself. Oh yeah, but just like just kind of like break down, kind of like all right, cool. So what do we have here? Um, do you have it pulled up on your end? I do actually. Sick. We're gonna look at fifth edition, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at fifth edition. Um, all right. The reason I ask is because I did some digging. Um, all right. So I figure, guys, so we'll mentioned before though is about how that it can fly, and one of the things about it is because it doesn't have any, you know, mobility aside from flight. Mm -hmm. One of the things that makes it so unique is that it doesn't have to; its lair and its living space doesn't have to conform to like how we would have to in in our natural world, where we have we require, you know, a ramp or stairs mm -hmm. or a ladder mm -hmm. to access something we have to move in certain dimensions because we're limited to how we, uh, we're able to move. Exactly. Um, whereas like a beholder can just go straight up or mm -hmm. at an angle and like these very sharp edges that would be impossible for somebody to climb because it does have the disintegration ray, which allows it to carve through rock, stone, uh, wood, dirt, lava, anything it needs to. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's why I think it's really interesting is that especially uh, with the lair is that this is a creature that really is, I'd say this is one of those, if you want to throw a curveball at your players, it really throws them off their game. This is one, like, I get it. A dragon is going to be dangerous. A, uh, a giant will be dangerous to fight. Um, heck, a, a, a lich, very deadly to fight. Mm -hmm. But the beholder, you got to be careful to fight. Is the way yeah. I see it. It's not a simple, I'm going to go in and hack at it. You got to be smart about this. So uh, let's just take a quick glance at their stats. Um. I'm just going down the list real quick. Uh, let everyone know it is a large aberration, lawful evil, armor class of 18, natural armor. Hit points, it says 180. I mean, I don't know. How do you work on that when you see a hit point counter? How would you think? Like, Do you, do you go by what the book says for hit points? Do you, do you roll for that, or what do you do? So in the instance of a beholder, mm -hmm. um, in having a lot of experience playing D&D &D 5e, it, 180 hit points is nothing. <laughs> So with a beholder, because I want it to be a, like typically speaking, I don't mm -hmm. use it as a minion. I use it as uh, I would use it in a position where it's leading somebody, or it's at the top of um, a society, or, or it's intended to be a very strong adversary, a very iconic. This is going to be a set piece encounter potentially if you do run into one. So I'm somebody who would typically like max out its hit points. Um, that way, there. Because when you think about D and D, a round is technically, uh, as written, it is six seconds. Correct. And if you win that fight in three turns, which might take you 25, 30 minutes, in the world of the game, 
that just was 18 seconds. And 180 mm -hmm. hit points against a group of, say, four characters is really nothing. Even if you're um, taken by some kind of surprise by it and your group, uh, your party, like, fighter, paladin, uh, you know, the, like, the guy who's that brute force guy, even if you get him off, like, you don't get him off the ground, you probably still have somebody who's got some high-level magic. I mean, level 13 characters, we're talking 7th level spells right now. Really powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. Even even fifth and sixth level spells. And despite the fact that it does, um, I think one of the things that I don't appreciate seeing is that it does not. It was not given rules as written any legendary saves. It wasn't. It only has the legendary actions. I've never noticed that. Yeah. So that's the other thing I like to add oh. to it. And I do that frequently with any encounter where I want something to be a little bit more, um, just somebody who's a little bit more difficult to beat. Or I give them, like, I mean, he does have some very strong saves with the exception of his dexterity save. His dexterity save is a plus two. Yes. If you look at that stat as written and you throw any area of effect spell at it as a 13th level caster, you will do massive damage or disruption to this creature very very quickly and very easily mm -hmm. because and again their lack of dexterity comes from the fact that they don't have any agility to them they don't need it it's not oh, yeah. part of their, their physiology they're uh, more so a very uh, mental villain um, they're mm -hmm. extremely intelligent which is one of the things that i i will criticize this edition of D, D because when you go back to earlier editions they're listed they didn't have the same number system but I was going through my, uh, um, which number was it? One of my monster manuals this morning. And I took notes and I wrote down about how their intelligence is listed as exceptional. I wouldn't consider a plus three, which is above, which is well above the average. I don't know if mm -hmm. I'd consider that exceptional. I would think that would be more in the realm of a 20 with at least a plus five modifier to be considered to have an exceptional intelligence. Now, how do you figure out that pro... The, I mean, it has an intelligence save of plus eight, though. Yeah, but that's... So when you get into the crunch of the game, that comes from... To balance its proficiency bonus. Okay. As, like, as if a player would. So even a, a person with no adequate save, like, with no bonus to their save, would still have some kind of a... Like, a little bit of a chance if they're proficient. Okay. Um, all right, I mean, I'll give you that. I'll, I'll give it that then. <clears throat> so I desperately feel like the one, the one big change to it in 5e that it needs is definitely needs to have legendary saves. Mm -hmm. At least one. At the very least, it should have one. Especially if you're going to run it in like akin to Xanathar from the Forgotten Realms where he's a named character. He should have the staying power of somebody who's in the lore of the, of the realm. I mean, if you're going to take on a character that has been around for in our world close to 30 <laughs> they should definitely have a little bit more staying power oh yeah opinion. um now xanathar did he come was he from previous editions or is he new to fifth he was written in i can't remember the year but he was in the water deep box set he's actually on the cover of at least one of the booklets in it 
which I believe was 88. Okay. All right. He's been around at least that long. He may have had mentions um, sooner than that. All right. Good name. Uh, City of Splendor. Because I was looking up a little bit of Xanathar's history. I just didn't get a... It, it, it said about the, how the title had changed Changed of the Xanathar was the title. Yep. But it wasn't... It didn't give me an addition or give me a year. It just said the just gave me a timeline of like the actual uh, Forgotten Realms itself, not player like. Yeah, so the book it would have been in that uh, was Waterdeep in the North. Uh, 1988 was when it was published. Uh, and it was written by Ed Greenwood, who's very, very much the creator of the Forgotten Realms. Very nice. He's done a lot of stuff outside of that, which is really cool too, which I really appreciate. Some really cool adventures and modules. One second. You there? What? Hold on, I'm getting major feedback of some of something. When you talked, it came through extremely, extremely rough. Okay. It's all better now. It's all better now. Okay. Okay. Sorry, guys, about that. <clears throat> Sorry, guys, about that. We're just this is it's something newer for us. Uh, all <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, we're doing it this way. So so Xanathar, uh, he he's been around for a while then, and he's an iconic uh, mm -hmm. beholder, one of the more well known ones. Um, hmm. So I mean, so you think it'd be a more uh, a better? You would mod it for like a plus five then for the intelligence if you were running Absolutely. with him. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, it's perception plus 12. Very nice. Makes sense. He's immune to pro being prone, but he can still be held or restrained down. So, okay. Um, knows deep, deep speech, under common. Uh, passive perception is 22. Very nice. Dark vision of 120 feet. And then we can get into his eye rays. So, the eye rays generally for the standard beholder are all the same usually but they can change between any of them absolutely that's one of the really neat things about a creature that is so alien because like the idea behind them is that mm -hmm. they come from to be on the the sorry, depending on the specific setting that you're playing the the origin of them is a little bit different like which realm do they come from do they come from the far realm where if you're playing like greyhawk or forgotten realms which is in a sense another dimension of space and time mm -hmm. and they're incredibly because they have this very alien intelligence so our interpretation of them is that they're a bit crazy in the way that they think and the way yeah. that they're paranoia and that they plan and plan and plan everything like a test player might think three or four moves ahead for Beholder, it might be 10, 15 moves ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, just because of how their minds work. And yeah, it does make for some weird like little things with them in their physiology. However, just because the, the body of it, say you were able to stun it or stop it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the tentacles, the eye stalks, are completely uh, useless because it does have those legendary actions where mm. you could say that you know they're still firing because it's almost in some ways that 
with the way it's designed, you know, they have the 10 different eye rays and because of their, um, you know, their, their, their madness, it's like inherent to them in our realm mm-hmm. that you can always roll randomly to determine which one goes off. And you can decide that maybe there's only a percent chance that those eye stalks are completely sunned. And then for the central eye, even if you stun or, you know, cause to go over own or something, if it's any time that eye is open, that anti-magic field is in effect. Which is the ultimate, the ultimate kibosh that you could throw at a, at a magical party. Yes. Because I'm pretty sure this anti-magic, it makes magical items non-magical in the moment too, correct? The so, only I mean, thing in the past that it's never, it doesn't usually affect artifact level um, okay. magical items because it just they're just too powerful for it to actually shut them down. But one of my favorite techniques with them is you get a group where they're fighting with it and you put fly on somebody in the party and you, you know, make sure you, like one of the things when you, when you DM a beholder is always like be very descriptive about that eye, whether it's open or closed. Let them always communicate to your players because then it kind of gives this little bit of, uh, you know, why is his main eye closed? I and mean, he's got 10 other ones floating around and, and examining everything. But it can, it can be one of these things where it can definitely throw people off because then when he does open it, you can use it almost as a surprise. So you have this person flying who is able to very much outspeed the beholder because they're a very slow moving creature because in a sense, like they, you'd think like it's, it's something that would hover in a place that potentially doesn't have gravity or atmosphere, mm-hmm. but then they ended up here through, you know, and whether it be through a portal, um, whether it was a crashed uh, spell jammer, whether it was um, summoned by something, you know, what are their origin and how they got to our world is very um, open to, you know, what lore do you want to dig into? What, you know, how, what is your story for them for your setting? And that's one of the things I really enjoy about them. So then you have that guy flying and he's got his sword and he's like, yeah, I'm going to hit him. And the beholder opens his middle stop, eye stop. and shuts down everything. And then he just kind of tips and makes sure that eye is on you. So you plummet however far now that all of your magic has been disabled. So I wish I would have been able to do a little more research and specifically like this is really good. I think advice for all DMs out there, because if you don't know how to run a beholder, it can be a bit daunting. I wish I would have thought of techniques like that because there's so much you're going through and that the middle eye is dangerous. It is very, very deadly. I mean, it can easily shut down the party. I mean, you need any healing effect instantly. Look at who's not wearing who's not wearing armor, shut down the magic user. Let the eye stalks do what they do best. And then the minute you go in the minute you see people down, I'd say just kind of wait to see who runs at whoever's down and just be ready to open it on them because they can't heal then. Yeah. Because it shuts down both arcane and divine magic. Completely disables all magic. The other thing that's really interesting about them too is that because they're an intelligent enemy. Um, in some of the books I was digging through as we were doing research for this, there's a, like if, if it's a party that looks powerful, there is a 50% chance that they will just open and negotiate, which I really enjoyed. Really? So one of the things about this enemy is that you really get to create something when you, when you place it in your campaign. And this is where Volos, I think, really did a great job because they had like personality traits as if you were creating a character to give it motivations. And they had little things for um, messing with its appearance, like just tables to inspire. And I actually, 
Um, I have a sketchbook where I rolled to determine what my beholder is going to look like. And I drew one for uh, my last campaign. Really? That's really, that's actually pretty cool. The drawing's okay. But <laughs> I am by no means an artist, but well, still, it, was fun to, it was fun to play with it. I mean, it, it's comparable to something that would have been in those earlier edition books where it was just a pen and ink drawing. Um, which, which by, which I will say it is, uh, as far as for comparison from old school to new school, those early, their early editions of Beholder, I mean, I don't think they would terrify me as much as kind of what I see now coming out. And yet still enough, it's like, I feel like if I was playing in the 70s and I saw this little like pencil and ink sketch of this like eye and the stalks that look like these tubes, so creepy. So really, really creepy. And uh, I'm going to get into them real quick. So the eye stalks, so was, what's really cool about these monsters is that so when you're attacking... You're, you can do a basic melee attack as an action, and then you can have your eyes shoot three of them. So is it, when you, when you use this, would you use the bite? Is it the bite attack and then the eye stalk? Or is it one or the other, the way you interpret that? Personally, I never use the bite. Really? Yeah, because so for a beholder, like eating is something, and this one, I, this little bit comes from, I think, uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but there's a book for aberrations in third edition that came out and it talks about how like for them eating is something that they don't actually, they don't require sustenance like we do, mm-hmm. but they enjoy taste, especially when it comes to like meats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And each one will have certain things that like, you know, as any person would, they'd have flavors that they enjoy more than others. So their bite is just kind of more of a, a happenstance. It's like they it have sharp to. With something they can do. Okay. But their real power purely comes from the eye rays. Like I think at least like a living beholder or like the higher formed ones would only ever use their eye rays. And okay. one of the things I like is how diverse they are, such as, you know, they have charm and paralyzed mm-hmm. fear. The uh, I'll say out of all of these eye rays, so it's like a fear, slow ray, uh, enervation. Oh, it's necrotic mm-hmm. damage. Uh, I'll say that the, some of these ones are get deadly though, because I mean, you can go straight from something as simple as charm, which can be deadly on itself, depending on how, uh, wh- whatever the charisma, um, wh- whatever the wisdom save is that the creature has to make, but the death ray and disintegration ray and petrification ray, like those are three like big, bad villains powers alone individually. Yeah. Like death, like disintegration, like that's just, like that's the over like that's like you that's the end game attack. I ran an adventure where um I used a zombie beholder and that's one of the rays that as listed carries over and uh 45 damage is a lot if you take the average and even just rolling it if you even you come below that um and a zombie beholder I think is a challenge 5 or 6 monster so it's designed, you know, for mid-level parties. And I mean, when you get hit with that, there's nothing left of you when you hit zero. I have taken out a player with that before. Completely accidental. I didn't, I wasn't, like the intent wasn't to, you know, wipe anybody out, but um, the world is dangerous in D&D. And sometimes it it is. It, it definitely is. Um, I almost took out my brother with uh, the disintegration ray. Yeah almost like he was literally like five hit points away from it. And it was like, I think he felt that it was, he should be more smart. 
a little more <laughs> careful when running into combat, especially if trying to pick a fight. Uh, <clears throat> and we kind of we kind of talked about the zombie beholder. That's one thing I do really find interesting in as far as anything that it drew me to the monster manual. So when I first got into D and D five E, I found the got the books. I started just I, I like to read the monster manual for fun. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I talked to you about like, hey, what if, what if we dug through these and kind of talked about some of the monsters? One thing I love is that the beholders, they're all unique. Yes. And it's because uh, I guess it is determined, I guess it is based on the setting, but from what I can tell, the general way how they are created is is out of uh, dreams and out of figments. They're, they're created, they're spawned from themselves. Mm-hmm. And I did find an article where about in the older editions, they would they would lay eggs. I guess in early edition, in early early editions, and I don't know when the change happened, but I like the idea that you know the beholder goes to sleep, has a nightmare, gets paranoid that it's going to be attacked by another beholder, spawns one in its dream, is now attacked by it. And it's a different behold. Like that's the idea that these things spawn themselves out of their own just will and reality breaking. I mean, it's not really magic. Like that's the thing. It's kind of like the um, warlock. Like some of the, like the uh, packed with the old one. Like the, yeah. like, like that's not really magic. It's kind of it's something different. You know. And that's the neat thing about them is they actually, like, they have so much power. They shape reality around them. Mm-hmm. So when you look at, like, their their regional effects really shows that off, I think, well, which is where, um, you know, people start feeling like they're being watched within a mile of it. Um, when it's sleeping, there's minor warps in reality that can happen. And that's just if you're within a mile of where one of these lives. So you have to, like, think, you know, in Waterdeep, you have Xanathars, you have this city where... <laughs> At any point, something just completely insane can happen, and it's because Xanathar took a nap. <laughs> something to think about, too. And it could have nothing to do with your campaign, but it's just a little thing that you could drop into an adventure. Uh, yes. The one ray that I feel like really gets overlooked a lot is telekinesis. And the reason why is that if it is an object of 300 pounds or less... There's no saving throw, and the beholder can manipulate it. The reason why I think this gets overlooked so well is because you could have, you know, his minions build cages out of iron that could weigh up to 300 pounds. Most characters do not have the strength to deal with that. And this ray could just drop these cages on Just, Just drop it. That is a way. That is a very interesting way to look at that telekinesis. I thought you yeah, were going to go off. I thought you were going to go in the idea that their that their ability to use telekinesis is like hand delicate. Like they can use it to the, like the fine motor skill details. And you just took in a completely different way of like, all right, no, as a DM, I'm going to mess with my players and good luck. Like I would never even have thought to incorporate like, but that's a great idea. That's a great yeah. trap scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like a beholder doesn't necessarily need like it may want to negotiate with you, or it may it may want to keep you for an experiment. It may want you know because they're so they're all so unique and they're they're just as intelligent and they sh- you know more intelligent than most mortals. So 
they can, you know, they could have these reasons for things. Are they, or instance, you know, if you, they have um, like these hive mothers mm-hmm. where you could have an entire, you know, beehive of beholders where you have this, the tire, like the lead beholder, and then you could have five to 10 standard beholders and then another, uh, I think it's like something like up to 20 of the various like subspecies. The lesser, the lesser and the, the beholder kins. Kin. Yeah, and then if you look to like AD&D, some of the beholder kin are weird. Like there's these, um, they, they almost have like gorilla-like bodies, but they just have one central eye. They don't have a head. So it's like you take the head off a torso and put the eye like in your chest and they have a mouth and they're, they're kind of like minions. They're, they're foot troops, you know, that can okay. serve the beholders. And you have these other things that ride like these centipedes around. And then you get the death kiss where they have uh, the tentacles and they just kind of like oh, yeah. float around and they have like the tentacles just grab hold of people and then like the barbs go into them. It's well, the death, ki- the death's kiss are creepy because it's not even just shooting eye rays. It's all clinging and trying to suck your blood with shock magic. So I'm thinking like jellyfish style. Yeah. Like, Oh, like, Oh, <laughs> like, I don't, uh, that's not something they even get the creepy, like suckery, like, like like pseudopod like tentacles too mm-hmm. like the like oh yeah i mean like the death's kiss what scares me is the death tyrant which where okay. if if you die under the ray uh under its ray you come back as the zombie mm-hmm. now the cool thing i learned is that with the death tyrant is that it can have uh it it doesn't have to make saves to be control of those zombies as Correct. well. Yep. So if he creates them, they, they they're under his 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 minions. And what's nifty about that is you could have like an adventure where there's all these undead wandering around mm-hmm. and it's like, oh shoot, there could be a lich, there could be a vampire, there could be a necromancer. Oh my god, it's a death tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my party members are all are all watching because guys i am thinking about how to incorporate a death tyrant the other stuff to think about too is um you know you also have eyes of the deep that live underwater and mm-hmm. breathe underwater so you have you know if you do like a nautical adventure you could have like a sahaugan tribe um that potentially worships a mm-hmm. eye of the deep beholder oh, or I didn't you think have of an abolith and an eye of the deep at war and their minions are against each other. So now you not only have to deal with the challenge of these horrible monsters who have an influence of the area, but then you have to deal with the fact that you'd have to somehow get underwater. So then that adds a whole other level of preparedness and spell casting that you need to get to deal with these threats. Um, what's the other one that I really, there's another variant that I really, really liked too. Oh, the Gauth. Yes. Um, the reason why I like the Gauth so much is that if you are somebody who's very much happy with your magical items, they live off eating and the destruction of your magical items. Which, what more thing to be afraid of? And they're a great mid-level monster. Like, so you can kind of introduce um, a beholder-like creature that isn't so powerful that's running everything, but it could be aligned with some bad guys. It mm-hmm. could exist on its own. I used one once um, as a guardian um, for this like temple where this necromancer mm-hmm. had this relic that he had, he had left 
and he went to go pursue other things and was eventually destroyed. So the Gauth didn't, it was still there. So as the players discovered this location to this item, it became a race against another group that was searching for it. So then they got there and had to deal with the Gauth that was protecting it. Because of their, you know, physiologies and stuff, they don't have the same like nourishment requirements, which makes them a really, mm-hmm. um, you know, is just same as an undead or a golem for a guardian. It's, it's very helpful to uh, to a bad guy when you don't have to feed your, your pets. Exactly. I, I like actually how you said that. Uh, speaking about guardians, is that what what I what I did find was kind of cool and makes me want to pick my brain is the idea of uh, gazers and watchers. So I, I'm gonna always mix up the two. The ga- which one is the one that will that you can summon to be able to like kind of stand guard for a hundred years? That is the spectator. That's the spectator. Okay, so I'm They'll sorry. They'll stick around for 101 years. That's what that's what I was talking about. And, and they will protect it. They're, they're cool. Cause they'll protect whatever one thing or segment of things. Mm-hmm. But if other stuff that like say they defeat things or other things get left there, they'll let you have them. They'll negotiate that. You can, you could take those items away if they weren't the item that they were told to protect. Which is, which is really cool. And it, it it's, uh, I actually had initially planned to have one incorporated in my my first ever DM experience. I put one in a room and planned out this whole little encounter of like people fighting with it and like, could they discuss it and try and negotiate like, what, what are, why are you here? And party never went there, but it still got me looking into it. I think it was one of the first times I started like experimenting or um, experimenting and toying with the idea of variations of beholders and how I'd want to change them up for my own, because I do like that they can be literally anything. So the eye stock mm-hmm. rays that they have don't have to meet the book. So if you're running a campaign and there isn't already a model up and you're like, oh, I want one that is all uh, acidy based, make it that way. And there's no reason it couldn't be that way. I like how like even the bodies themselves aren't all the same. Like they're different material, textures, uh, yes. looks. They all have the general same I think to be considered a beholder, it has to be, it has to have a central eye, has to levitate, and it has to have, is it, requ- I think, 10 eye socks, or is it a requirement of eight? I don't, do you? I want to say it has to have at least eight, but they can have claws, it can have tentacles. The mouth doesn't even have to be, you know, like we always like picture it with the eye here and the mouth here. Mm-hmm. It's really, you know, that's just something that like, that's because it's what we're used to seeing and interpreting. But I always like the idea of the fact that, you know, the mouth could be sideways or they could, you know, because they can flip. You could have the mouth on top and the eye beneath. There's, because they're such an alien creature, there is an artist um, or, you know, you want to add descriptions to them. Mm-hmm. DM, in a way you are an artist, you are creating the, the physical look even if you're not the one sketching it um with your descriptions of them they can I mean, they can actually really be anything they could have spots they could have um spikes coming out um yeah that's i think that's just what makes them so unique and so fat like so fun is because there's not a this is what a beholder is mm-hmm. it's, this is a broad idea of what a beholder is but they can, I mean, there's just so much. Open and, it's, stuff and it's even so much, it's, uh, they're one of those monsters that, like you had said, they can be as tyrannical and cynical that they are like Xanthar, where 
they're going to infiltrate, become the mob boss in Waterdeep, control, affect, be the basically the head underboss of 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 the under society, or it can be as simple as a crazed creature that is just chilling in a cave somewhere, just doing its yeah. own thing, completely different. There, mm-hmm. like, there is no set way to describe a beholder other than good luck, I feel. Yeah. The other thing that's fun, too, is something that, you know, because they are so xenophobic to one another, mm-hmm. and they all assume that my shape is best shape, and just something as simple as, well, that guy's eye is, you know, an inch smaller than mine, so he's different mm-hmm. than me. That makes that a bad beholder, is that they will fight for territory, and one could perceivably drive another away from its its location, its cave. So you could have this instance of an adventure where a beholder is you know, traveling a forest, it's moving into a lake, it's going through a village as it looks for a new home. And that adventure could be, how do we, we what do we do about this? Because this is a creature that most people can't handle to deal with because it is you know, very powerful, very deadly, and just plain very frightening. Like just to... Mm-hmm. You know, personally, I know if I saw one, in, I'd probably freeze. You know, if I if you know, it was a real like, creature, oh um, yeah, absolutely terrifying. Everything you know to think about. And I mean, like, and, and, and let's be honest to the common NPCs, which what half a rated challenge or a quarter rating, quarter percent of challenge it is. Like they're they're not even like it's nothing when you put that in scaled comparison to a level. Was it level thirteen? Uh, Mm-hmm. This is literally like it, this thing. You are a pet. You are, are con, you would be a, considered a pet to it. Yeah, yeah. You're you're not much more than a nuisance if it wants. You know, and that's that's the thing that just they're, they're so cool because I mean, it'll just anybody who gets it its way is is going down in one oh, hit yeah. or being charmed by it. And now it's like, yes, I will serve you unless they're exceedingly lucky or exceedingly resistant to it. But I think and, that's. But even then, I mean, it's just cont- going to continually charm you and cast it until you, until you succeed. Or you're just going to eventually, your will is going to be broken and you're just going to submit just because. Which yeah. shows the, the, how terrifying these, these creatures can be if being played in that way. Mm-hmm. I initially, uh, the idea I had for Beholder was a Joker style. Okay. Where it's like, like pale white got the creepy like red grin like all themed up joker but the idea was that like it had a disease and it was infecting it so it had infected uh two other travelers into the that had come into its cavern or its cave where it was trying to um toy and play with some technology that the travelers had been killed and uh come back as zombies but they had i gave them kind of like um you know like when the joker fish the clown the clown fish from batman like that effect where it kind of the, the Joker gas basically turns them. Yeah. But when he kills you, you kind of get turned and twisted. Your face kind of goes crooked and yep. like that. Oh, and idea. you know, it's, it's one of those I'm hoping to put, you know, I hope I could play with them a little bit more at some at a future point, but it's, I mean, they're everywhere. I think this is a, this is a, basically it'd be one of the most abstract characters in the, in the DMG that I have ever found other than oozes. And because oozes are kind of like, I mean, like they're just ooze. 
like just kind of like slurping around. Like apart from that, like everything else is pretty much a monster, unless I guess it's stitched together. But then it would be more or less. Uh, it's not an aberration. It's a monstrosity. Um. Right. Like if 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 you're if you're stitching if you're like constructing a magical. Oh, um. No. Then you, you then it becomes a construct. Even construct. if it was made out of organic stuff. Yep. It goes right to construct at that yeah. point. Yeah. Okay, so I guess then, like, I mean, I don't know. Would you agree that the Beholder is one of the most abstract of sorts? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just, it takes, it's just, what I think, it just takes a lot of really cool, um, you know, powers, but it puts them in in a way, in a package that is so hard to interpret or explain. And, I mean... I think that's why, like, we've had some really good supplements for them in the past mm-hmm. uh, through D and D. And what's really nice is you could find pretty much all that stuff on. Um, I believe it's all been moved to the DMs Guild, but mm-hmm. like Drive Through RPG has a lot of those old third edition books, and they're a third of the cost when they were new. And some of those books are. I, I've been in the process of hunting down some of the Eberron books that I wanted. And I'm on the fence. It's like, do I really want to pay three times what this was new? Plus, well, I mean, we'll get into that conversation after, actually. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to ask you about 3.5 after all this stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah. So beholders, scary. They're intimidating. Shouldn't, shouldn't sway away from them, I would say, if you're a DM then. Just you have to go in with a lot more planning than you would anticipate. And yeah. I guess, so I know just from kind of common knowledge of 5e from looking into it is that Xanathar's uh, a known beholder and he can be found in the Waterdeep um, book. Uh, what is it? Uh, is it heist of, uh, Drag- Dragon Heist of Waterdeep, right? Yeah, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Waterdeep really- Dragon Heist. He's one of the main players in it, and I, I have to say, I'm terrible. I own the book. I haven't even read that one yet. Um, I mean, I've been debating but, on picking it up or not. I don't know if it is uh, worth. I don't know if I if it's worth getting it yet because I don't know if I'm going to run a campaign to it. But it's one of those ones that if you really want to do a very like urban, maybe Ocean's Eleven style or. Uh, what I would consider like street level superheroes. You think like, you know, Batman, uh, uh, Luke Cage, uh, Daredevil, people who operate within a single city and deal with a lot of the intrigue and um, not necessarily like world altering threats, but they're dealing with something on a local level. It's a mm-hmm. great module and it has a lot of material in it. So it's a good um, tier. It's a good tier one campaign. Or a good yeah. tier one yeah. uh, module to start off a good campaign with. Yeah. Um, if have you, you ever more classic D anD D? You know, picking, you know, going through ancient tombs, stuff like that. This is not going to be that adventure. But uh, it it does actually have some good NPCs from what I've heard. Plus, Xanathar oh, yeah. is fun to get to get into. Um, apart from Xanathar, do you know of any iconic beholders that players could pick up any modules currently that like oh this would be good for this one. Because hmm. I saw that there was a couple mentioned for, with Xanathar for, or the current Xanathar that had discuss, that had come from before, but I don't know of any other like 
I don't know. I know Xanthar because his name is used and he everyone he's he's a known beholder in in Waterdeep. I don't know if you know of any other modules from before that uh, used famous beholders or other than a, just a generic uh this is the encounter for this one part. I want to think in the rise of Tiamat there is definitely a beholder in it as part of uh, the story and hmm. rise of tiamat was really really fun when i ran that at my game store um which is part of the game there we go <laughs> um it's actually like so this was actually before i started working there so this was okay. at lgs at my old town um but we did it we had uh we took the adventure and we split it up to a few different play groups so we were all playing the same adventure but there's all these hooks and threads so each of the groups would decide they would make parties and go off on the shorter adventures that are all part of the campaign and then we culminated at the end with this big finale battle but i definitely remember uh man it's been geez i ran that one dnd five was almost five years ago now oh my god hmm. Um, but I definitely remember there was a session with a beholder because like there were certain enemies that they were trying, you had points where you're trying to either defeat them so they couldn't join the cult of the dragon or could you make a deal with them so they would join your side and fight against the cult of the dragon whose effort was to summon Tiamat into the world to basically end it. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh... Oh, and there's definitely the follow-up to... Uh, Dragon Heist, which is Dungeon of the Mad Mage, I guarantee there's a Beholder in there. Because oh, there's got to be. Every, every version of Halaster's Maze that has ever come out, there's always Beholder. There's always a Beholder somewhere. Huh, I've never played Dungeon of the Mad Mage. I think I started watching a stream for it, and I fell off of it. It just, for whatever reason, I just didn't hook me enough. Yeah. And I think it was a little bit of, like, as it uh, knowing that I'm am going to be the DM for me and my friends, basically, I've kind of understood that. So I've kind of I read through books, and I I don't care. Like if if you said, "Hey, let's go play Ravenloft," I want to DM it. I'm like, cool. I'm going to mitigate. I am not. I'm going to be able to break that tie, and I don't. I I I yeah. know my ground. There's yeah. a few campaigns yeah, that I kind like of. There's a few that I have been like, I don't want to because I want to kind of experience this a bit in person. Mm-hmm. So like Waterdeep and uh, Dungeon of the Mad Maid, I'm trying not to because I'm like, I, I think I would like to play those ones and be genuinely surprised. Yeah, and Dungeon of the Mad Mage as uh, a module, I think it's it's a really good addition of um, you know the the Undermountain, Underwater Deep. If you do want to watch something that kind of can help you like get a little inspiration for it, mm-hmm. um, I don't remember what year it was, but Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, when Chris Perkins was still DMing for them, he did one where they were in Halister's mind and they did a series of episodes where they were in the dungeon. And that was really neat because in Heat, Chris uses that dungeon all the time because it's so massive and the magic keeps it like changing the layouts and there's portals. So things just wander into it and they don't even know how they get there. Like they're wherever they were, there's a portal. They end up accidentally walking through that portal and then boop, they're in the dungeon. And so that explains some of the insane things you can encounter in there. But he really likes 
likes to have expeditions into it for adventures that he's ran, which I really think is cool. It is, it is a really great setting and it's, you know, what you want, I feel like in a, in D and D, which is a great dungeon with mm-hmm. plenty to discover, which for me is a big, you know, big thing. Mm-hmm. I love like exploring in D and D. That's one of my favorite aspects of it is as a player is, is being able to explore a place and, go through because i i when i first played we were taught get your paper out and actually draw the map <laughs> yeah you wanted you 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 know that there are rooms there that need to be uncovered mm-hmm. and uh i'm gonna tell you i've watched i don't think i've actually ever i think i've, I've watched chris perkins actually only play a couple of times i've never watched him dm okay so i'm very interested and when i've seen i think he played um I think it was Chris Perkins that played Squirt the Cobalt for uh, for uh, for like a half an episode from Critical Role. I think that was one of the first times. I th- I think that's who it was. I'm almost positive he came out brought with a little. And I'm most positive it is him because he has the co- Cobalt named Squirt that has like it's like a druid where he has like a beehive type thing. Like it's all like rudimentary like advances that a kobold would have access to oh yep spurt the kobold inventor <laughs> yep okay so that played is by, him then played by chris perkins oh how cool is that i didn't know he was on it up on critical role at all he it was just like an half fun. it doesn't last long as, as yeah as they, they they run <laughs> i'm gonna let you you know what watch at least if anything search up the episode or search up the the, the clips the highlights i will i will look for the clips of it because i can just like he's a very humorous person oh yeah he, he was at the table for a good minute and then he left and it was like wait who was that guy and i didn't yeah. know who he was it was like wait he's and then i saw um D beyond todd talks i'm like oh wait that's this guy yep. oh he must be a d he must be part of the wizard of the coast and you know, i started i started learning more from there but yeah, I definitely recommend uh, for that for a good time. Um, but you know, guys, thank you so much for joining. I think we kind of covered a good amount of beholders. Yeah, uh, I mean, I hopefully it inspired people to, mm-hmm. you know, go do do some more digging and discover some more more things and um, draw some sketches of beholders. You know, have fun with them. Yeah, I mean, guys, have fun with this one. Uh, you know, thank you so much for listening in. Thank you so much for watching. If you want, you can email me and podcasters your sketches of beholders at podcasters tabletop gaming podcast at gmail.com. Uh, send them in, send them beholder sketches. I want to see them. Any, uh, if you're cool with it, let me know. I will highlight them on the Instagram page as well. If you have a handle, I'll tag you at them. Let me know. Uh, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, soon to come, coming soon to you, Twitch as well, as well as the network, BICBP-radio.com. Follow, subscribe, hit like, comment, please, guys. I will say those comments. Now that I'm learning more about this, those analytics of the videos and how much they are, uh, how important they really are, they really do matter. So if you did like what you listened to, if you have any comments, any concerns, let us know below, hit like, and share it around. Uh, I was your Dungeon Master co-host for today, Anthony Mullen. Thank you so much. Uh, Ben, thank you so much for joining in on this. Where can people find you? Uh, You can find me at Dungeon Master Benjamin on Instagram. Uh, You can also follow our Hearts of the Game uh, Twitch channel. We go live every Thursday with a D&D campaign and other types of gaming on various days of the week, uh, magic tournaments, things of that like. 
Um, and you can also always find me at Heart of the Game in cheery old Buffalo, New York. See you guys next time. Yeah. Bye, everyone.